This is My Faith Walking Journey Podcast with Jim Harrington, Episode 7, A Conversation with Nate Foster. For over 25 years, Jim has been serving the church in Houston, Texas by working to mobilize individuals and congregations into collaborative efforts that are designed to serve the common good. In this podcast series, Jim is talking to community leaders in Houston and across the country who are working to build more loving communities as a systemic solution to the big challenges that our communities face today. Now, let's get into this week's conversation. So I'm really glad to be back to the podcast um, in a series of conversations with uh, pastors and city leaders, authors across the country who are interested in a topic that I'm interested in. Um, our cities, our communities face um, really challenging um, problems uh, today uh, in, in, in everything from human trafficking to the struggles of the public schools to um, to uh, uh, in Houston, 25% of all the children who live in the city go to bed hungry every night. And we just face massive problems in, in a country that has all kinds of resources. And in this podcast, we really are trying to foster conversations with people who believe that the systemic solutions to those issues are found in developing the kinds of people who can love, love God, love neighbor, love self, love stranger, love enemy, uh, in, in really mature uh, ways. Uh, and uh, today I'm really uh, glad, happy uh, to have Nate Foster on the call with me. Uh, Nate is the uh, author most recently of a book called The Making of Ordinary Saints, uh, but he's a lot more than that. So Nate, welcome. Uh, glad to have you here today. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Glad to be with you. I wonder if you'd take a minute and just tell us about your work and your family. and you Give us a sense of, for the, those in the audience who might not know you, tell us who you are. Yeah, sure. I've um, been, been married 21 years and uh, have two kids, 15 and 9. Um, I live in Jackson, Michigan, and I teach at uh, Spring Arbor University, teaching social work for 10 years and recently uh, started a minor in spiritual formation at the university, so that's my teaching load now. Um, I also do a fair amount of writing, um, do, do some writing currently for, for Renovare and some podcasts for them, um, speaking, traveling around, and then uh, uh, this last year started uh, on staff, very part-time basis in, the, uh, in a pastoral role at a local free Methodist church. Um, so lots of uh, different things professionally, I guess. And take a minute and just tell us about your book, The Making of Ordinary Saints. Yeah, sure. It was uh, a fun experience. I, uh, so my, my father wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline back in 1978. Uh, and in that book, he outlines 12 classic spiritual disciplines, practices people have been doing all through the ages, um, modeled after the life of Jesus. These 12 spiritual disciplines. And I thought, um, what if I really dug into them? And my original plan was to spend a year practicing uh, each of the disciplines and then write a narrative of my experience. Uh, successes, failures, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, turned out to be a four-year project and really, um, really helpful for me personally in digging deeper into uh, spiritual formation. But then the book came out to be this uh, kind of story of my journey working with these um, practices. Uh, I said to you when uh, I saw you last uh, that um, a part of what I love about you as a as as one who writes about spiritual practices uh, that that form us uh, that uh, you are one of the most authentic 
writers in that field that I've ever uh, encountered. Often, I, I love your dad. I, I, I've met him. I've read his book. I was in seminary when Celebration of Discipline came out, and that book had a ton of influence on me. Uh, but sometimes you read spiritual formation writers or writers who are writing about spiritual disciplines, and, and there is this sense of, oh, I could never attain to that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And when I, well, I don't mean this to be dismissive, but when I read your book, <laughs> when I read your book, I thought, oh, I could do that. <laughs> I could do that. Uh, is that was that uh, like a literary choice on your part? Is that just something about who you are and how you show up in life? Uh, I want to say for the, the audience, what you do is each of the chapters you write about a discipline, but you tell a part of your own life story in a really uh, vulnerable and authentic way that, that really touched me in, uh, in some really uh, some deep ways as I read. Mm, I, re- I really appreciate that, Jim. That, that, that means a lot. Um, I, I, think, I think part of it is um, part of it's probably personality. Um, when I go to write, I, I don't mean to be so um, candid and vulnerable, but it just, it just always comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, this, it happened in my first book, too. Um, I, I think part of it is I, just, I like my relationships to be really authentic mm-hmm. and... Um, um, so it just kind of comes out in the writing, I guess. Um, and I think part of it's born out of a kind of deep seated sense of never measuring up. And, um, so I, I don't know that I have much to offer, but I have myself to offer. So, um, just being honest about, about that and, and never feeling like I could, you know, that I was doing the Christian life, you know, right. Or, you know, getting right. it like, like others, um, but in that, I found great freedom, and in the freedom to be uh, honest and vulnerable, I, I, I got to grow. And um, yeah, I just—that's what I like to read. Right. I like to read things that are um, candid and authentic, um, and so I at least uh, strive to do that. I'm cool. Glad it came out well. <laughs> well, it did. Yeah, it really did. Uh, I, we want—I want to ask you, and I won't tell your story. Uh, here on the podcast, uh, the readers can, uh, the listeners can get the book and and see the story there. Um, but as you know, uh, the work that I do in faith walking is really built around spiritual formation. I always like to make a distinction that there, that I like to make the distinction between what spiritual d- disciplines or spiritual practices are and what the work of spiritual formation is. They're not the same mm-hmm. thing. They, mm-hmm. I know you know this, but for our listeners. Spiritual disciplines contribute to your formation, but there are a lot of other things that contribute mm-hmm. to your formation as well. Your life experience, your family of origin, the culture you live in, the books you read, the movies you see. There's some sense in which we're formed by everything that we experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yes. um, and so the disciplines or the spiritual practices give us some really intentional ways of being able to look at that. I, I want to ask two questions about the title. Um, uh, the making of ordinary saints, and so you don't seem much like a saint in the reading of your book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <that's good. laughs> uh, but but you're really attractive. I mean, it's re- I'm really drawn to you. And so, uh, talk about the word saints. What does that uh, What does that mean? Sure. Um, yeah, and then the subtitle to it: my my journey from frustration to joy with right. with, with the spiritual disciplines. Right. Um, it's a it's a bit of a tricky word, and I think. Part of what I was hoping to do with that is to kind of recapture the um, the idea that that we're all called to be saints and that saints are people of God, and uh, certainly there are people who seem to be um, have gone really far in life with God. And um, but I want to 
pull them out of the stained glass in a sense. And um, I don't want to take these wonderful figures throughout history um, and um, remove ourselves from possibility. Uh, so the idea that, uh, you know, uh, uh, Teresa of Avila or Brother Lawrence or um, some of these great church fathers and mothers, that they have the same spirit uh, that we have. Right, right. And I uh, don't want to limit our possibility of who we can become through the years in, in life with God, but really with the word saint. And, you know, I tacked ordinary on that. Um, right. the, we're people of God seeking to serve him, to love him, and to become people who look more like Jesus. And uh, the New Testament references us as saints. So that's, yeah, that's uh, great. In the faith walking community, we talk about being fully human and fully alive. That Jesus mm -hmm. is the model mm -hmm. of being fully human and fully alive. And when I read your book, the language of saints is a language that calls us to, uh, to, uh, I guess I have some sense that in the culture we live in, we've kind of dumbed down what it means to be human. You know, mm -hmm. if you get the goods, the consumer stuff is what it means to be human. And in some worlds, if you're like to, to, to be really human, you have to be religious. Mm -hmm. uh, but but Jesus was neither religious nor uh, driven by consumers. He was really the the fully human human. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the faith walking work, we ho we don't use the word saints, but we hold up this picture uh, that that life that's deeply connected to God and deeply connected to others and deeply connected to yourself. Uh, is this fully human, fully alive life that uh, that can be attained and and should be aspired to? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's, that's really I think good. that's in your language. Um, and so then the other question for me is the, the word making. Mm -hmm. um, um, Jesus in his great, what we call the Great Commission says, go and make disciples. And you're talking about the making of ordinary saints. Um, if we're, if we're going to take seriously the call to make disciples, what does it mean to make? Mm. Well, I think what I like in that word making is it denotes process. Uh, and that, that this... This journey of becoming Christ-like, uh, loving God well, loving others well, and I like your language here, being fully human, fully alive, um, that's a process that can take a very long time. That's a lifetime's work, right, right. and it's not something we arrive to. Um, so uh, that, that's kind of why I'm partial to the word. And I, and I think that's important in um, evangelism, that um, we're... In, engaged in a work with people. Uh, it's not uh, some of the great destructive ideals that, that we as a church have prescribed uh, or adopted as the idea that we just go and make converts and then we're done. Right. Um, but uh, discipleship, Jesus spent you know three years pouring into, in a very vulnerable and intimate way, three people yeah. or 12 people. Uh, that's just good model for disciple making. Well, and in some ways, he poured into three, in some different ways than he did to the twelve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. yeah. And, and I, I love to point out that you know, even after all that, they didn't get it. Right. And, <laughs> you know, they were as ordinary as us, and I, I sure hope I wouldn't fail in the same way uh, some of them did. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, yeah. Denote process. I, I love the language of process. I love the language of. Uh, or, or the recognition that it's a lifelong process. When when Paul in uh, Philippians two says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling," you know he's not talking about a, a works theology. He's talking about this lifelong journey of 
of, of learning to be who you're created to be, learning to be your true self. Learn, um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to be Jesus. I'm trying to be my true self in the way that Jesus was his true self. And, and I watch him as he uh, follows that pattern. And it's, I mean, it was really helpful with your dad and, and Dallas Willard's reading to, uh, to, to, to have to go back and think again about how Jesus got formed. Uh, and that his was a very human process uh, yes. that that you know that kind of burst onto the scene when he was about thirty. But uh, but all of what he was able to do, the fully human life that he lived, uh, certainly didn't just magically happen in him, but grew out of mm. the out of out of his own making over 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 a lifetime. Mm. Uh, I'm wondering uh, about. So I've already talked about your authenticity and how much I like that in the faith walking community. We uh, faith uh, um, authenticity is one of our uh, core values. Uh, we work really hard. We we work really hard at helping people to know and tell their stories, to tell mm-hmm. the places where they're wounded, to talk about the places where they're gifted. Uh, and so I'm really drawn to that. I, I just wonder what your own thinking is about uh, the role of authenticity in spiritual formation, or the, the. I'm not sure what I want. So so I'm not sure what I want to ask. Is it the role of authenticity or the the difference when you're really authentic? How does spiritual formation take place as opposed to when you're hiding and pretending and have your mask on? Uh, yeah, just talk about the authenticity piece for a little bit and, and tell me what you, mm-hmm. what you see. No, I'm, 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 I like that you made the connection between formation and authenticity. Um, and I think it's a very, very natural fit that as we're engaged in relationship with God, we, we are um, being honest about who we are, uh, our brokenness. Um, but in, in such, we're learning of our belovedness. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a very natural uh, uh, thing to move towards authenticity as we're in, in, engaged in seeing ourselves for who we really are. Um, and there's a great freedom in that. I mean, in, in one sense, the Christian church um, offers us to, to be uh, who we are in, 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 in the fullest sense. And um, we work through our shortcomings, and we're, we're growing through that. Um, but it's uh, a call to extreme vulnerability with God um, as we you know, confess our sins and be um, uh, submissive uh, to God in our daily life. Um, I think it's a, a, a very natural fit as we become more fully human and discover uh, how God sees us and uh, his, his uh, uh, radical love for us in the midst of our shortcomings and such. I, th- I think there are a lot of people that I know who would actually be drawn in a really positive way uh, to the idea that they could have a relationship with God that was really authentic and that they could have a relationship with a, 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 a set of a group of people who were mm-hmm. also really authentic, uh, and and that group of people also have a lot of experience with the church is the last place in the world that you can be authentic. Yeah. You know that like in the world I'm authentic every day everywhere I go, but when I go to church, there's this mask I put on. Mm-hmm. There's this religious mm-hmm. persona that I have to uh, engage. Um, yeah, and, and I think it speaks to a little bit that we we can see some of the end goals that life with God helps us to um, grow as people, and we we what that means in in a, in a sense becomes we're more loving people 
the fruit of the Spirit, and in turn, um, morality is a very natural process to that. So we see that in goal, but then don't necessarily have the, the means, uh, the tools, the, the, the models around us, um, and the patience for getting to that process. And so, in a sense, I think we're, we're wanting to be good people, and we want to be good Christians, but um, we're, we're jumping ahead. And, and so, as a result, then we put on our mask and, you know, think that we have to um, pretend and make sure that we, you know, look right to everybody and say all the right things. That's a great tragedy for sure, um, and and I think I'd want to point out the the you know uh, solution is not that we um, are are just uh, honest about everything and then we stay there. Um, that that there is hope for uh, change. That we right. we get to grow, and um, that's a wonderful thing. But a but a journey, a process, and we need each other in that as well. So when you um, when you think about the work of spiritual formation. And when I talk about that, that, um, that out of that work, we learn to love God, to love our neighbor, to love ourselves, to love strangers and enemies. I always add that because the neighbor yep. story doesn't, in our culture, doesn't think so much about stranger, stranger and enemy, but the great Good Samaritan story certainly puts that in there for us. So to love God, to love a neighbor, to love stranger and enemy, to love yourself, um, when you're looking to know whether you're making progress in that journey, um, what do you look for? Mm-hmm. Like, how do well, I know, how do I know if I'm loving more maturely? <laughs> well, usually, usually we're the last ones to know. <laughs> that's a good and answer. That's probably good that way. Mm-hmm. It is sense. we need each other to help point that out. I mean, we can look at it from a you know long term. In the last five years, if I've come, become more loving. Um, I really see it as a very natural process and not something we can force. I can't make myself be more loving. I mean, I can in, in, in some senses, certainly, but the idea that in formation is that our life is so lived with God that this kind of interactive love affair, if I can use that mm-hmm. language, mm-hmm. Um, that in such we become formed and we are uh, looking to move beyond our selfishness. And love is the natural result of that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, we need each other to, to, to see that growth. And we need good reflection um, through, you know, sitting down every year and looking through, am I becoming more loving? And if I'm not, then, um, you know, w- what am I missing? Um, That's good. I, I uh, uh, so I, it was when I read uh, Richard's book, Richard Foster's book, uh, The Celebration of the Disciplines, that I was first as a evangelical Christian back in the 70s uh, introduced to the work of, uh, or to the idea of spiritual disciplines. Uh, over a, a lifetime, um, I've come to believe that spiritual formation is the is the primary work of the congregations and of the of the local congregation, and yet it, it seems to me that so many congregations don't know how to do the work of spiritual formation. Or I mean, I think that's true. They don't know how to do that work. Or what's also true, and sometimes it's a double whammy, is that the organizational design of the church, uh, particularly in big cities like Houston, actually serves as a hindrance to doing that work. Mm-hmm. You know, we we rush in we. We, we go to a one-hour Bible study, we, 
we hear a sermon and, and, and do a worship service and then we go back to the rest of our life. And we think about Jesus spending long periods of time with, with three and then 12 and then maybe 70. Um, it, it just doesn't mm. seem like the design or the structure allows for that. Uh, what would you mm. say to a pastor who said, man, I, I really want uh, the work of spiritual formation to be the first work that we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of things in this organizational structure work against that. Um, what would you What would you say to them? How would you encourage them? Now it's such an important. There's a lot to say on that topic because it, it's a real concern. Um, I mean, simply it starts with us, and we can't give away what we don't have. Right. And um, for a, a leader to really pour into um, uh, being honest and being uh, diligent in their own spiritual life. And and part of that becomes restructuring the way we view the disciplines. I think much of that is that we either see the disciplines as a to-do list or, you know, things that I kind of have to do to check right, off right. Uh, or things we succeed at and fail at or, you know, things that are kind of beyond us. We start very, very small, right where we're at. They're invitations to live life with God. Um, but much of it, I think, in in the church world starts with that, that um, uh, w- when we're really engaged deeply in life with God, we, we really can't contain that. It, it kind of comes out uh, in, in what we do. Probably one of the most helpful things is to um, intentionally reject uh, the uh, corporate principles of success that we've mm-hmm. adopted. That's great. And measuring our success. Oh, go ahead. No, I just said that's great. Yeah. Measuring our success on worldly terms and in terms of um, things we can count, um, whether that be people or money or, or, or buildings. Um, there is a, I mean, we have a celebrity culture that looks for its leaders to be, you know, charismatic, to rally the troops to, um, you know, go for the new flash, the next new thing. And um, um, that's really not helpful in, in, in life with God. Um, so to maybe slow down a little bit with that mm-hmm. and uh, take our time with it. It, 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 it it's, it's not quick work. It's not flashy per se. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. I, I think that's part of the reason that we've tried to build a community of, of people in, in the faith walking work because it is slow. Uh, I heard. I just heard you say it's an inside-out process that starts with me and 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 uh, takes time. And there are a lot of forces working against your formation or against against the kind of formation that would make you a more a more loving person. Uh, and trying to do that alone uh, mm-hmm. is a, is a really mm-hmm. challenging kind of deal. And so having others who are working on some of those same uh, issues and concerns or are are being truthful. Uh, in an authentic way, both about the joy that's found in all that and about how challenging and difficult it can be to do this work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really helpful. Well, and it, thanks, Jim. Um, another thing I've noticed is that people in general, um, when it really comes down to it, don't necessarily want to take seriously their spiritual growth. Um, kind of check the boxes off. Am I doing all the right Christian things? Um, but the call of discipleship is a, is a call to die, right? And right. Um, <laughs> our having our own way, and you know, having all the glittery things in life those those are oftentimes our idols. Um, and, and in that, though, I, I think it's really important to point out that Jesus shows us how to live, and right. it is a good life. 
um, maybe not good in the way that we traditionally think of that term, um, but uh, the road to joy and contentment um, is is found in that in that death to self. Um, but but many many people in our churches don't don't really want to. Um, maybe they want to in in a sense, but. Um, well, part of what I say to pastors is, uh, I think what you just said is true, and a part of what I say to them is, even though many don't want to, there are some who do. Find those yes. people, yeah. and uh, just like Jesus did with a small group of people, find those people and begin a journey with them. Uh, this is really helpful, Nate. It's great to hear your voice <laughs> and to see your face. Uh, it's um, uh, the, the book is The Making uh, of an Ordinary Saint, My Journey from Frustration to Joy with the Spiritual Disciplines. Uh, I wonder if there's anything that I should have asked you that I haven't asked you, uh, or if there's anything before we get off the uh, off the call today that you'd just like to say. Uh, it's this is you've you've covered lots of good material. I mean, I think I mean I, I kind of said it, but but going into it a little bit more is is you know the and I like what you said. There's a lot in our formation that contributes to it. Um, and the disciplines are really simply ways that we lay our lives before God and intentionally and, and to, to really try and divorce ourselves from the idea that we're performing or we're, yeah. we do this or that so that God can you know, give us a cookie and pat us on the head. Um, but that these are invitations to live life with God, invitations for us to be loved uh, by God. Uh, it's a very attractive message, in, in, in a sense. One of the guys that that has mentored me through his writing is a guy named Richard Rohr, uh, mm-hmm. and I read him say recently uh, that much of his life he thought he needed to change in order to be loved by God, and mm-hmm. that actually what he discovered was he had always been loved by God, and it was the reality that he was loved by God that empowered him to make the kinds of changes that he needs needed to make. And in some ways, that's what I think I hear you saying in that yeah. in that conversation. I, I write a little bit about it and, and actually speak more about it. Um, but engaging in deeper life with God, we need to begin with just who is God and how yeah. does he view us. Yeah. And if we can really bathe ourselves in the sense that we're loved without condition right where we're at, right. then, then we're free to just go deeper and have fun yeah, and right. roll around in his love. And it changes die. everything. It changes it everything. Does. Yeah. It does. Yep. And then our failures in it, this is where people get lost as they yeah. try a discipline and they can't do it like somebody who's been doing it 40 years. So they, right. <laughs> they quit. Um, and really these are just, you know, ways that we get to play with God. Yep. And, uh, well, I want to encourage uh, anybody who listens to this podcast to get your book and to read it. You didn't ask me to do that, but I found it. <laughs> Thanks, I, I have personally found it uh, highly valuable. The level of authenticity, the clarity about the, uh, uh, the disciplines, the, the fact that they're built into your real life and not into some religious uh, kind of, of trapping. All of that made it uh, just really, really helpful. And I really appreciate your taking time to uh, talk to me today. Hey, thanks, Jim. All right, Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this conversation on building loving communities. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd appreciate if you would give us a review on iTunes and share it with your community. You can find the show notes for this episode, including a link to Nate's book on Jim's blog, jimtherrington.com. I hope you join Jim for his next conversation on building loving communities.